Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in a place of worship and to have Bibles open in our laps. And Father, thank you for uh, teaching us who we are. And, and God, thank you that, that you've created us in your own image, in your own likeness. And Father, even though we have, uh, we have marred and we have scuffed, broken uh, that image through sin. Uh, Father, I, I thank you that it remains and that it can be restored uh, through a relationship in Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I pray that you would teach us about that. God, teach us how to be like you. God, that, that's what we want. God, I, I believe that's the purpose of our life is, is to glorify you and being like you. Father, I, I pray that and I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' name. A guy named Richard uh, Pratt tells a really interesting story that I think goes right along with uh, what we're going to talk about today. He tells a story. I think this happened in Chicago. I don't have all the details of it. Uh, it's back, I think, in the, in the early 90s is when he told the story. I read an article that he wrote. But anyway, the story is of a young woman, and uh, a young woman who, who's in her late 20s. Uh, she leaves her husband and leaves her children for this other guy. And uh, they make uh, this plan. They're going to meet at this hotel. So she leaves her husband, uh, leaves her children, you know, tells them it's over. I'm done. I've got, I'm having an affair. Um, I, I'm, you know, going to live with this other guy. I'm leaving you guys. Goodbye. That's it. She leaves. She meets the guy at the hotel. They meet there together. They uh, um, talk or whatever. And in the midst of, in, of that meeting uh, together, he decides that he doesn't want uh, her, uh, that he doesn't want this affair. And he goes back to his family. And so basically, she's just just ruined her life. She's left her husband. She's revealed the affair. She's left her kids. She said goodbye. She goes to meet with this guy that she thinks loves her and, and, and anyway, and, and then he says, no, I don't want you, and goes back to his family. Uh, in the midst of all that, she takes out a forty-five caliber handgun and, and kills herself in the hotel room. She leaves a note, and uh, the note said this, don't cry for me. I'm not even human anymore. Don't cry for me. I'm not even human anymore. Uh, do you get what she's saying there? You know, do, do you see what she's saying? You know, she, she's, she's just so lost in herself. She's saying, look, I, I don't even know who I am. Um, I'm not even human. Uh, I'm not good. There's nothing about me that's good. I'm worthless. I'm a piece of scum. Uh, I'm so bad and, and I'm so humiliated and I can't face anybody in my life anymore that I'm just going to take my own life. I'm going to end my own life because I can't face um, life anymore because I don't even know who I am. Interesting. In the same motel, same motel, exact same motel, at the same time that this woman is, is, is taking her own life, 
There, there's a convention meeting in the convention hall downstairs in this hotel. And it's, it's a new age convention, kind of a, well, one of those new age gurus was speaking. They had a celebrity there. And, and, and at the same time, almost identical as when this lady is taking her life, the, the, the speaker at this new age seminar has everybody stand up in the seminar, raise their hands uh, to, to the sky, and shout out in unison, I am God, I am God, I am God. Um, do you see the irony in that? You know, same hotel, you've got, you've got one lady that's so confused about who she is that she is convinced there's absolutely nothing good in her left, that there's not, maybe never was anything good in her, that there's no reason to live, and she takes her own life, that the same hotel, at the same time, there's this convention full of people who are convinced that they're God, okay? Now, now what that tells me, and I think the message is really clear, is that people are really confused about who they are. Does, does that make sense? Uh, I mean, I, I think we're, we live in a world full of people that, that really is just trying to figure out, who am I? You know, and, and in that question of who am I, it's a question of, of what am I supposed to be doing? And, and, and what's my purpose in life? And why am I here? And all these incredible foundational questions that, that, that people are either trying to figure out or they think they figured it out and they're wrong about it. But folks, people are searching for that, for that, for that, and the answer to that question, who am I and what's this thing all about? What is my purpose here in life? Now, now, you hear that question a lot, and you especially hear it in movies, okay? Um, I watched a movie just not too long ago. That was, it was all about this question of, of, of who am I, and, and, and you, hear this, you hear this all the time, this phrase, I need to go find myself. Have you ever heard that? I, I hear that all the time, especially in the context of counseling and when people are having marriage problems and family problems, and, and you'll a lot of times have somebody that's just, they're going to bail on the whole deal, and, and, the, and the reason they're bailing is because they say, I need to go find myself. I just need some time to figure out who I am. I just need some time to find myself. I just need some time to, you know, kind of kind of figure out, you know, what I'm all about. And usually what, what they mean by that, usually what they mean by that is that they've come to a point in their life where, where uh, their entire life, they basically come themselves to other people and they've tried to figure out their identity based on what somebody else was you know you, know, you see people do that all the time you know it's like well I, i'm this and i'm not this because I, I don't compare to this you know i don't measure up to my dad or i don't measure up to my mom or i can't measure up to the expectations of other people you hear that all the time you know people people disillusion with themselves because they feel like other people expect them to be something that they can't be okay so so you, you got these people that, that that are basically judging who they are by who everybody else either tells them they ought to be or who they feel like they can't measure up to be. And so a lot of times the response of our world in that delusionment, uh, disillusionment, is basically I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to binge on whatever I want to do. Uh, that's usually the answer. I did this movie I watched, I'm not even going to tell you the movie because I don't want you to watch it. It was so new agey, you know. I was just trying to make my wife happy and take her to a chick flick. And, and we ended up in this new age thing, but a sermon came out of it. But anyway, th this lady, she, she's trying to figure out who she is. And so the answer to that is she goes on this binge, okay. Basically this binge of I'm going to leave my family, I'm going to leave my husband who loves me, I'm going to leave my marriage that really is not bad. And I'm going to go on this binge of, of eating and drinking and, and, and fornicating and, and trying to find myself. You know, and that's the world's answer. It's like, I don't know who I am, so I'm going to go do what I want. 
You know, what do I like? Well, I like to drink and eat. So I'm going to go do a whole bunch of that and figure out who I am. You know, or, or what do I like? Well, I, I, you know, I like pleasure. So I'm going to go out and, and glut myself on pleasure trying to figure out who I am. Folks, the only thing that will, fit, well, that will figure out, the only thing that will answer in your life is that you're a sinner, okay? And I could have told you that right away, you know? You could have you avoided all that carnage and just come to church and let me tell you or let somebody else tell you, look, you're a sinner. You're broken. Yeah, you have all these desires in you that are not good, and if left to yourself, you'll destroy everything about your life, okay? So that's a no-brainer. We understand we're sinners, okay? But, but, but the bigger question is, who are we supposed to be, okay? Now, that, that's the big question. And we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the creation of man, the, your creation, okay? God the creator making you. We really get some, some insight on who we are in the sense of who are we supposed to be, okay? And the Bible is very clear, okay? God created man in his own image and for his own glory. That's the answer to that question, Okay? That, that's who God created you in His own image. That's who you are. Okay, that's who you are. You are you're you're a, a creature created in the image of God. Why? For His own glory. That's why you exist. Okay. If you'll notice in the, in the creation account here, one of the interesting things we see is that, that the creation of man is different than all the other creation, okay? You know, we, we saw six, uh, five days here of, of God creating, you know, and, and God does it a certain way over and over again. We looked at this last week, you know, in verse 3 when he's creating light, he says, let there be light. And then in verse 6 he says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and separate the waters from the from the heavens. So you got water below and you got atmosphere above. And then in verse 9 he says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let there be dry land. So God speaks dry land into existence. And then... And and on and on, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, so God speaks plants into existence. And then uh, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures. God speaks the animals into, into, into creation. So over and over again, he creates all the universe and all the earth and everything that's in the earth, and he does it by speaking it into existence. Now, interesting, when God creates man, he does so in a very different way. If you go to chapter 2 of Genesis, in verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then when he creates Eve, he takes, he takes a rib from Adam's side, and he forms the woman. Okay, And so, so there's a very personal aspect. Everything else, God just speaks into existence. Life, you know, animals, vegetation, you know, expanse, atmosphere, stars, moon. God just speaks it, and, and it comes into existence. The Word of God brings it into existence. But when He creates man, He stops, and, and I don't know, I know God is a spirit, you know, we can't picture hands, but, but He forms man of the dust. He, he makes man, He forms him, He creates him, and then He breathes into him the breath of life. It's interesting to me, uh, verse 26, great, but we talked a little bit about last week, but it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Do you hear, do you hear that? There's a plural there. Let us make it. And we talked about last week that God is not talking to anybody else but himself, okay? The Trinity within the Godhead. He's not talking to the angels. He's not talking to the demons. He's not talking to any, any supernatural beings. He's not talking to the animals. He's not talking to the plants. He's not talking to the redwoods. He's not talking to any of those because 1 Samuel 2 2 is very clear. There is no one like God. There's nobody holy like him. There's nobody with his characteristics. There is no other creature in all the world that is like God. And so when God says, Let us, plural, you and me, we're the same, let us make man in our image, okay? Our being plural, somebody else, and he's saying the, our image, who we are, 
Okay? He cannot be talking to anybody but the Trinity. You know, it is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit speaking in unison and saying, we are going to create God in our image. Okay? Now, please understand, this is very different than what much of the world believes about our our creation. And it sets you on two very different paths, you know. A lot, a lot of Christians want to say, you know, I can believe in evolution. It's not a really big deal. It's not a big deal to my faith. It's a huge deal, actually, okay. You're going to have some big problems, okay. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian, but I'm saying you get, you got some big obstacles to overcome if, if you believe in not a creator God and not a create created system here, but some sort of evolutionary process. Now, the reason you got some big problems is, is evolution implies there is no image of God in man, Okay. Evolution implies that God creates the animals and then starts this process, and basically man evolves into a higher form of an animal, okay? You're, you're a higher form of, of, of the other creation, okay? And therefore, really, I mean, if you, if you follow that out, you, you get much of the philosophy of the world that basically there is no morality, there is no truth. You know, I mean, we're, we're just highly evolved animals, you know, that have figured out how to kind of get along and how to create civilization and culture. Uh, that's not true, Okay. Evolution implies that there was death before sin. Man, you have a huge, huge theological problem when you say that the man evolved from, from, from the animals and that you've got death, you've got death before the fall of man, okay? Because obviously man's got to get to a certain level before the fall happens, okay? Well, you, you've got whatever billions of years of things dying before sin. And so in, in that system, death does not come from sin. Oh, man, we've got a huge problem, don't we? Well, what do you do with that? If death doesn't come from sin, then where does it come from? And why is it there? And evidently it doesn't mean what the Bible says it means. So, so you got some big problems when, when, when you take another view than Genesis chapter 1. Evolution observes that, that, basically I think this is what evolution does. It observes that, look, monkeys have some of the same traits that men do. That's true, right? We fingers. You ever you've been to the zoo? Theirs look a little different than ours, but still got them, don't they? You know, they got some fingers and they, they, you know, a similar kind of torso and look to them. And so, so you know, man says, "Oh, hey, you know, must have come from them. You know, we're better than them. Must have evolved from them. They have some characteristics that that are like us. And so we, there, there must be a connection there. Okay. What, 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 what that completely denies is that while monkeys are somewhat similar to mankind in in some traits, and really when you think about it. We would be similar to, to lots of other animals as well. You know, dolphins have two eyes, and we have two eyes, you know. Dolphins can swim, and we can swim, you know. Dolphins breathe air, and we can breathe air. Dolphins hold their breath when they go into the water, and we can do that. You know, I mean, there's, there's other characteristics between the animals. But here's what all of that denies. While, while monkeys and men are sort of similar, monkeys and God are not, okay? Does that make sense? Monkeys have no characteristics of God, okay? Men do. Okay, and, and that, that, that's what Genesis is getting at, is that, that men are created in the image and likeness of God. Monkeys are not thankful. They don't appreciate beauty and reason and the meaning of life. They don't exercise dominion over the world. They don't, they don't, they're just trying not to get eaten by a jaguar. You know, I mean, they're not trying to build cities and civilizations. They don't create things. That, they don't create culture. Um, they, they, they don't progress in their living. They don't worship. They don't contemplate God. They don't pray. They don't write poetry about God. They, they're not like God. But men are, because men are made in the image of God, which puts men in a completely different category than any other of the created order. Okay? God created man to be his image bearers. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That's your job. That's your glory. 
Man, when we look out here, just think about this for a second. You are the image bearers of God. You're made in the likeness of God. God created you to bear his image in the world. That's incredible. You say, well, pastor, last week you told us that all the created order in Psalm 19.1, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And that's true, okay? Mountains declare that God is awesome. Why? Because they're, they're awesome. When we look at them and we say, wow, that creation is awesome. There must be a creator and he's even better, okay? But that's something different than reflecting the personal characteristics of God. The sunset speaks of the creative mind of God, but a man who uses his creativity to love his neighbor that guy has the mind of God. Do you see the difference? He's thinking God-like thoughts. He's employing his mind in God-like ways. The mountain does not do that, okay? The mountain just sits there. It's a big lump of dirt that God scooped up. And when we look at it, we say, wow, God must be awesome. The ocean, it, it, it's vast. And we say, wow, God must be vast. The stars, the, the, the universe is, is so huge. We say, wow, what a creator God we must have to speak that into existence. But that's different than, than the glory of man because man is to be the image of God. And, and he is to do so for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says, guess what God says? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Friends, our job is to be image bearers. We're, we're, we're to reveal the, the, the invisible God to the world. We're to be walking around on this earth as, as, as images and in the likeness of God to point to and, and to exalt Christ the Savior. That's our job on the earth. You say, wow, is that a good job? That is a good job, okay? And it's really an exciting thing because here's the good news. We're all supposed to become like God. We're supposed to be like God. The good news about that is God is infinitely happy. That's one of the, the best things I like about that. You know, that's why all through the Bible you have all these verses about rejoicing in God and about God being our exceeding joy. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Uh, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. You know, I mean, you have that all throughout the Bible, and, and that's a good thing. Because that is the characteristics of God. God is infinitely joyful. And so we as God's people are to be happy in Him. We're to be joyful in Him. It's one of the characteristics of God. That word image. You know, let us make man in our image. It, it means a representation or a likeness. Actually, it's kind of interesting. It can mean idol even. Okay? But not in the sense of something you worship. But in the sense of, of, of an idol uh, in the Old Testament times was something that represented something else. Right? The idea, you know... The people believed in Baal, the thunder god. So they have this kind of idol that, that represented the, the thunder god, right? Well, in, in a way, not that we're to be worshipped, but but we represent God. We are God's representative. That's what the New Testament tells us. We're ambassadors of Christ. And so, so our job as God's image bearers is to represent God on the earth. It, it is, to, it is to, to bear his likeness on the earth. That's an exciting thing. Theologians forever have tried to try to nail down. You know, everybody tries to be okay. What is it about man that makes him created in the image of God, and everything else is not? You know, what is that one defining characteristic? I actually, my, my personal belief, I don't believe it is a one defining characteristic. I, I think it's a plethora of things that make us in the image of God. And, and let me tell you, one of the reasons I believe that is because the same terminology is used in, in Genesis chapter five. If you'll turn there just for a second. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. There's the thing we're just talking about. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man And then when they were created. And then verse 3, okay? Adam 
has a son. Okay, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, listen, in his own likeness, after his own image. And he named him Seth. Exact two, same phrases, isn't it? That was used for, for God creating us in Genesis 1. And so when you think about that, okay, that, that makes sense, right? That, that makes sense. Um, how are my children like me? Okay, I had children, and so you could say that my children are, are in my likeness, in my image, uh, lots of different ways, right? We could say, well, they, they all have blue eyes. All my kids have blue eyes. Okay, so is that it? Well, no, that's not it. You know, I mean, there's, that is one thing. You know, obviously, we're in a family, and him and I both have blue eyes. All our kids have blue eyes. Uh, but, you know, Hannah has this little weird divot above her ear, just like me. Okay, well, is that it? Well, you know, there's other things too, you know. I mean, I mean, some, sometimes they say things that I say, or they sing funny songs that I've sung, or they, you know, they act in ways that, that, that I act, and they're, you know, compulsive about things that I'm compulsive. You know, I mean, you, you, you got kids, right? They're all sorts of things, right? And, and in the same way, I think that that's the way it is with God and men. We reflect the image of God in many different ways. Let me give you some of them. One of them, we rule over creation. Notice verse 28. So God creates man in his own image, male and female, and creates him. And in verse 28, God blesses him, says, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God gives them all this stuff to, to, to be for them and, and to take care of them. And he says, Okay, you're going to rule over all this. Okay? Now, 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 obviously, that's a godlike trait in that man rules, he subdues his, his, his environment, okay? You all have done that, right? You know, a farmer, he, he, he subdues the earth and he, and, he, and he plants and grows. He makes the earth, you know, re, uh, yield what he wants it to yield. And if you're in the oil business, you go down and you, you capture the resources of the earth and you bring them up and you turn them into fuel and, and different things that we use. And, and if you have a house, then at some point, you know, whether you or somebody else, you know, you took a piece of land and, and you leveled it, you know, and then you built, you took trees and, and you turn them into walls and, and you subdue your, your environment and, and you rule over it, okay? That's what man does. You know, if you're a pig farmer, you, 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 you know, captured pigs or I don't know how you got them. You bought them, whatever, you know, and, and, you, and you, you breed them and you, and you make them and you kill them and eat them and pork chops and, you know, breakfast burritos and all that stuff. I mean, that's what man does. Man subdues and takes, takes care of the earth. He, 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 he shapes the earth and he uses it for his own purposes. And in that way, we reflect the image and likeness of God. Okay, but is that it? No, there's lots of other stuff. We reflect the image of God in, in our ability to know God. I really think this is the big thing. If you had to pin me down and say, okay, Jason, I think you're wrong, you know, because uh, dolphins, they communicate and we communicate and, you know, monkeys make, or birds make nests just like we make houses. Ours are just better, you know, and uh, okay, whatever. You know, uh, I don't think that's right. But uh, if, 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 I mean, I really don't. You know, I mean, some people try to, well, let the animal kingdom communicate and, the, you know, and, and they're trying to, like, compare. You know, that I don't think there's any comparison there, okay? I mean, that's, that's, like, that's like doing this thing, you know, it's like saying... There's me. See? That's in, now, that's in my likeness and the image, isn't it? Okay? Sort of. I mean, it's got eyes, nose, mouth, little hair, you know, legs, arms, okay? Okay, so we say, well, see? You know, the image, there's your image right there, okay? Yeah, but is that... Is that the same thing as this? Same thing? Just, just better? Nah, it's, it's in a different category, isn't it? You see what I'm saying? And, and, and so I, I really don't think that, I don't think that you can compare the way that whales communicate with, 
you know, the way that people communicate. I don't, I don't think those are in the same category. Um, I don't think you can compare, you know, an ant farm to a city. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think they're in the same category. But, but even, maybe, maybe you do, and I'm really not going to argue about that this morning. So, but um, if, if if I had to pick one, I would say this is the greatest reflection of, of our of our ability to be in the image of God is in the fact that we are capable of knowing its <coughs> We're capable of knowing its creator. We're capable of hearing his truth and appreciating and, and thanking and honoring him and knowing right from wrong and knowing his commands. Man has a conscience, okay? Man has a conscience. He understands innately certain things are right and wrong. It doesn't matter if you have the Bible or if you've ever heard of a Bible or you've ever heard of a religion. In every culture and everywhere in all the world, there is this thing in man that we know some things are wrong and some things are right. Okay, now sin has distorted that and bent that and twisted that, but it's in people to know that. What I think is interesting also in Genesis chapter 1 is God, God speaks to men, okay? He creates all this other stuff and he doesn't, you know, he speaks into existence and he doesn't, he doesn't speak to it. But for man, he creates man. And then what does he do? First, first thing, he blesses them, okay? He blesses them and he says to them, he begins to give them commands. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what I want you to do. I want you to fill the earth with image bearers. You know, I, I hear people say sometimes, man, this world is so bad, I just don't want to bring kids into it. Man, you're, you're disobeying the very first thing that God said, okay? God said, I, I, you are my image bearer. You're my likeness. You, you, you're going to represent me on the earth, and I want to fill the earth with you. God's decision. He speaks to man. He communicates his truth to him. He blesses him. He gives him commands. He tells him certain things to do, certain things not to, to do. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, he says, uh, verse 15, Then the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it again. He's going to rule over the garden. He's going to control his environment. And the Lord had commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that you eat it you shall surely die. I mean, he's sitting man there. He said, Look, you, you do do this and you don't do this, and if you do do that, you're going to die. Uh, I mean, man, is created. He's special. He's unique. He's created in the image of God. Real quick, let me give you a bunch of others. We reflect the image of God when we submit to authority. There's that great verse in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 7 that it's, it's real confusing, but it talks about uh, man being the head of woman and uh, Christ being the head of man and God being the head of, of Christ. And we know that We've talked about this. We talked about submission. We know that that does not infer any inferiority because that that would be uh, that would be going against the doctrine of the Trinity. What it does infer is that God, in the Trinity Himself, submits to authority. Jesus Christ submitted to God the Father when He was here on the earth. I mean, there's this mutual submission, this beautiful um, unity, getting along in, in the Trinity, and and we, we're, we're we're to reflect God in that. We reflect the image of God when we fight injustice and oppression and, and work to bring about the kingdom. We reflect the image of God when we live in relationships and community. God is relationship. That's the beautiful thing about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existing from eternity past in this, in this relationship, in this beautiful relationship. And as he makes man, we have that capability. And then that next week, we'll look at it. Marriage. That's what marriage is. Marriage is, is this this beginning of, 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 of us living out reflecting God in relationship with others. How about this one? We reflect the image of God that we have a soul that will never die. Um, 
I squashed a spider yesterday. Uh, he was against our house. He offended my rules and my domain. I didn't want him in the house because he was big. I don't even want to live with him in the house, actually. And so I squashed him. That's it for him. He's done. I don't think he's somewhere else. I don't think he's playing a harp in heaven. I don't think he's in hell. Um, I think he's done, okay? Because we are different than him um, in a fundamental way and that we have a soul that will never die. When you look in the Bible at, at, at one of two things, either the wicked or the righteous, what you see is that even after death, they still live. Mark chapter 9, verse 47 and 48, one of the scariest passages in the Bible. I was talking with a guy about this the other day. It says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter in, into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And then it, Jesus gives this image of a parasite. A parasite, what it does is it eats on whatever it's eating on until it's done eating on it, until it's consumed and it's gone, so it dies. Okay, But in hell, verse 48, the image is this, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Book of Revelation, Revelation chapter fourteen. <clears throat> Speaking of the wicked in hell, it says, "And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name." Did you hear that? The smoke of their torment goes up. How long? A year, two years, ten years, and then they're done, consumed, over. No, it says forever and ever. In the same way, the righteous, whenever you see pictures of the righteous in, in, in the Bible, uh, even after death, uh, it talks about them, them living on. And in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this, Then we who are alive at the coming of Jesus, uh, who are left, will be caught up together with them. Them, if we read the context, is those who have already died. Uh, died in Christ, died as believers. We caught it together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, I love this, so we will always be with the Lord. You hear that? We'll always be with the Lord. One of my favorite verses is in in the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. What does that mean, eternal life? Well, He goes on to say, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You hear that? They will never perish. I give them eternal life. And so what we see in the Bible is that that you're going to live forever. One of the catechism questions that that I ask with my kids, and I always ask this one a couple times because I just want to drive it home to them. But but the question is, you know, do you have a soul? And and the answer to that question is, yes, I have a soul, and I will never die. And I look at them and say, Avery, is that right of you? You have a soul. Yes, Daddy. And you're never going to die. Well, you know, what does that mean? Well, Daddy, I will die physically someday, but my soul will live forever. You need to understand that. I mean, I want to drive that into them. You're going to live forever. Your soul is going to be around forever. It's just going to be around in one or two places, either in, in, in eternal torment and hell or in the glories of heaven, but it's going to be forever. Why? Because you're not a dog and you're not a monkey and you're not a cat and you're not a whale and you're not an insect and you're not a spider. And so when you die, there's something about you that's created in the image of God and it will live forever. Okay, so we're creating the image of God. Now, sin has distorted the image of God and man, but it has not destroyed. Okay? Very important. Because a lot of people will say, well, man, when, when we were creating the image of God, but then 
when Adam and Eve took took the took the apple and when they when they sinned against God, man, that was destroyed. It it was marred and it was broken, but but it's still intact, okay? Uh, let me give you, I read this, I think Mark Driscoll said this, and I thought, wow, that's a great thing. In fact, I, I asked Paula and, and Michelle what they thought. Uh, I was actually going to get a mirror up here, and every, in each service, I was going to break a mirror, okay? But we decided against it because we felt like there were too many variables there. Uh, number one, like glass coming out and piercing someone's eye, or what I was afraid would happen is either, number one, it would just like crack just, just a little bit, and it would hardly be damaged, or number two, it would be like pulverize all over the state, you know? So anyway, I decided against cracking the mirror in front of me, but yeah, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Okay, a mirror, okay, if you have a mirror that's intact, but you, you can see your image, right? And that, that's what we're supposed to be. We were created to be this reflection where we would reflect the image of God to the world, okay? And people would see, oh, that's what God is like. And, and we would be all over the earth reflecting God's image, you know, in love and in purity and in holiness and, and in righteousness and in beauty and in communication and in, in, in marriage and in relationship. And, and we, we would magnify the, the, the characteristics of God, okay? Well, what happened with sin? Man, sin cracked that image, okay? So it's like a, a mirror. And if you ever had a mirror that was cracked, okay? You can still see yourself, but but it's distorted, isn't it? It doesn't look like it's supposed to look. And in fact, when it's a whole bunch of cracks, it's like, is that me? You know, I mean, you, you can see reflection in there. And when you move, it moves. And, and you can see parts of you. And, oh, okay, there's my eye. Yeah, that's my eye, you know. But but it's so it's so shattered that you, you're not quite sure, you know, it doesn't reflect what it's supposed to reflect. In the same way, so when sin entered the world, they cracked the image of God in us, okay? So all of a sudden, while, while the image is still there, it, it's imperfect, okay? We still think, we still help, and we still love, and we still pursue relationships, and we still rejoice, but we do all of those things wrongly, okay? Impurely, imperfectly. Sin hinders our ability to be who we were made to be, okay? Because all of a sudden, marriage doesn't look like it was supposed to look. And all of a sudden, parenting doesn't look like what it was supposed to look like. And, and children don't look like what they were supposed to look like. You know, they don't act like they're, they, it's all, it's all distorted and wrong. And we have violence and, and crime and rape and, and war and, and all this stuff that has marred the image of God. Oh, listen to this. That's why it's so important that you don't try to figure out who you are by indulging your sinful desires. Don't do that. Don't fall around in the rest of the world. I mean, I need to figure out who I am, so I'm going to go off on a, on a binge drinking trip, you know, and, and really find myself. You know what you do? You further destroy the image of God in you. Do you see that? Sin makes us less like God, less like who we're supposed to be. And so the more you sin, the further you get away from who you are and who you're supposed to be and what your purpose is. And it just deepens your lostness. But, but the image of God is still there. You say, man, Pastor, is it, is it there in Ted Bundy? Is it there in Timothy McVeigh? Was it there in Adolf Hitler? I mean, you tell me those guys are the image of God. You know what? Faintly, impurely, sins marred and destroyed, but the image of God is still there. Let, let, me, let me show you an interesting passage. Man, we're going to run out of time here. Genesis 9, 6, okay? Genesis 9, 6 is, is after Noah, uh, after the flood, Noah comes out of the ark, and God, God gives him this covenant. He says, in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Okay? You have capital punishment in Genesis chapter 9. You ever wonder what the Bible said about capital punishment? Should we put murderers to death? Should, should there be an electric chair? Um, personally, I believe that there is a place for that. Yes, and I think we get that from Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Why, though? Here's an interesting thing. Why? Why, why? why would God say that? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. 
Well, the answer to that is at the end of verse 6, for God made man in his own image. You say, well, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. God, God is saying man, 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 man is valuable and he's in the image of God, so you shouldn't kill him. And you're saying, or he's saying, God is saying, that, that you should. You know, how does, how does more death make the image of God better? But what God is saying there is man is so valuable that, that when, when you disregard that and when you take another man's life, when you take another woman's life, when you take the life of a child, when you do that, there is only one punishment that merits that. I'm not disregarding grace. I'm not saying there's not a place for grace. I understand that. But I'm just giving you Genesis 9. Genesis 9. God say, that's the value I put on life. And why do I put that value? Because man is created in the image of God. A little more applicable to us, okay? Probably weren't, you and I aren't going to be dealing with capital punishments this week, I hope. But but Genesis, or I'm sorry, James chapter 3, verse 9. Talking about the words that you speak. Okay, uh, your tongue. In verse nine, it says, "With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God." From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You ever curse anybody? You know what it means to curse somebody in the biblical sense? It means to basically say things that, that make them feel that you're worthless. It's to say to somebody, "You you are worthless. You're scum. You're dirt. You're not worth anything." Okay, and we we use a lot of words to basically communicate that, don't we? There's a lot of curse words that that's what they say. You know what God says about that? He says, man, out of your mouth ought not to come that. Why? Because man's created the image of God. You say, well, yeah, but that guy doesn't act like God. You see what he did? Do you see what, do you see what he did? The issue is not what he did. The issue is who is he? See, God takes that person. And this, this ought to change the way you treat people. It really ought to. Yeah, you ever you ever have a picture of you hanging up at the church? I'm using my own situation here. And someone defaces it. Huh? <laughs> Some kid from the youth group, I'm pretty sure, you know, draws horns on it and the tail, you know, or something like that, or mustache, or big funny glasses or whatever. You ever have that happen? You know, and, and we know it's you know, most of the time it's just kind of kidding, but is that you ever take that personal? We, we've had people in the church that have taken that personally. You know, that, we had a picture, you know, we had a ski trip picture, whatever there were people, and someone, you know, goes and defaces their picture, and it hurts their feelings. Why does it hurt their feelings? That's not them. That's not them. It's an image of them. Why? It represents them. Why, whenever, whenever a country overthrows, we saw this just recently, uh, not too long ago anyway, when, when, when uh, we went into Iraq and overthrew Saddam Hussein, what did they do? What all the people that hated Saddam Hussein did, what they do? They went out and tore down a statue. Remember that? Remember seeing those guys, you know, hook, hook a chain onto the statue, statue's neck and tear it? Why? That's not Saddam. It's a piece of metal. It represents him. You know what God's saying? You represent him. You're made in his image and likeness. That don't change the way you treat people. Okay, real quick. Man, best part of the sermon is coming up. Christ is the perfect image of God. Okay, let me, let me show you that in a couple places real quick, and then we'll move fast. Hebrews 1.3, uh, he is, this is the verse we were learning in Team Kids uh, in my, my boys' class, to sixth grade this last week. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. In Colossians 1, I think it's verse 15, talks about Jesus being the image of God. Okay, so, so Jesus Christ came. God, God, God the Son stepped out of heaven and into human flesh. Why? To show us who God is perfectly. 
Because we've all blown it, haven't we? We've, we've all rejected God. We've all sinned. So, so we're the cracked mirror. Jesus comes to be the perfect image to show us who God is in human flesh. Okay? Now, what is salvation? What is salvation then? Well, salvation is, is God us being joined to Jesus Christ, Jesus paying the price for our sins on the cross, and us being joined to Christ so that we can become who we were supposed to be in the first place. Let me read you some verses about, about the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Or let me read verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Okay? Remember we talked, we had a whole like three or four sermons on this about two, three months ago about putting on the new man. Okay, but listen to what he says. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If we go over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. It says a very similar thing. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If we go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. It says, when We all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, the Christian life is about reclaiming, restoring the image of God in us. And so when a person is born again, when, when, when they're forgiven of their sins and filled with the Spirit of God, what do we do? We begin to follow Jesus. We begin to read the Word. We begin to pray. We begin to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another and hear the Word of God and be in a Bible study and accountability group. And slowly, we begin to put off the old man, the old sins, and put on the new man. And we begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. The cracks in the mirror begin to be mended. That's the Christian life. And that's why you can't ever divorce salvation from sanctification. There are people who will try to try to make salvation just this fire insurance thing where I just need to pray this prayer, get this deal over with, you know, sign this transaction so that I don't go to hell. And, and I'm going to say, well, I, I've done that. I'm saved. You know, I prayed the prayer. And now I'm going to go out and live exactly like I did before. That's not salvation. That's dishonoring God. Salvation is God putting His Spirit inside of you, joining you to Jesus Christ by faith so that you begin to look more and more like Him. And that process is going to go through all of your life. If you're a Christian, you're going to begin. If you get saved at 10, then when you're 20 and you're 30 and you're 40 and you're 50 and you're 60 and you're 70, however long God would enable you to live, you're constantly reading the Word of God and praying and communing and fellowshipping and accountability. Why? So that you can put off the old man and put on the new man and become more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's going to happen all the way until glory, all the way and, and, and until Christ returns. And when Jesus returns, then you know what's going to happen? We're going to be made whole. We're going to be made like Christ. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, the sinful man, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's Jesus. In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it tells us about Christ's return. It says, Behold, we are God's children now. What we, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. The more we see the Lord right here on earth, the more we understand who He is, the more we, we become like Him, the more we're transformed and that image is restored. Okay? It'll never be perfect until glory. Man, do you, do you see? Do you see why, why Satan hates you? You thought it was something personal, didn't you? You thought like you're just doing such great things and Satan's coming after you. I mean, do that. 
Satan hates God. You get that? He hates God. Who are you? You're the image and likeness of God. So the more he can mess that up, the more ugly he can make you, the more foul he can make your speech, the more distorted he can make your marriage, the more he can mess that up. Who's he he trying to get at? God. That's the image of it. He can't touch God. (laughs) And he knows that. So what does he do? He comes after his image bearer. Right? If you're in Iraq and you can't touch Saddam Hussein, who do you act? Dr. Statue. Right? You don't like President Obama, but you don't have any voice. What do you do? You trash him on the internet. By the way, you shouldn't do that. You should respect the office, by the way. But, I mean, that's what people do, right? You go after the image. That's what this whole thing's about, folks. Let's be the image and likeness of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, the glory of, of your created order. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, creating us in, in, uh, in your own image, in your own likeness. And thank you for Jesus, that, that even though we've blown that and the mirror is cracked and distorted, Father, thank you that, that through Christ and through the cross and through faith and through the Bible, you're, you're restoring it. Thank you, Jesus, that day by day we can become more like Christ, more like who we're supposed to be. Father, help us as we think about why we're here and and who we are. God, help us to think about that in biblical ways. Father, I pray in Jesus' name.